ButcherBox makes it easy and convenient to get the highest quality grass-fed, grass-finished beef, organic free-range chicken, heritage breed pork, and wild-caught seafood without any antibiotics or added hormones delivered straight to your door. For me, I love their ribeye steak with a smoke and reverse sear, their tender belly bacon, which is some of the best uncured bacon on planet Earth. ButcherBox partners with people, small farmers included, that treat their animals in the best possible way and never give any added antibiotics or hormones. When you join, you choose your box and delivery frequency. You can cancel at any time without any penalty, and ButcherBox delivers amazing and fresh meat right to your door in a 100% recyclable box. For a limited time only, get free chicken nuggets for a year and 10% off your first box when you sign up today and use the code WP. That's a 22-ounce bag of gluten-free organic chicken nuggets in every order for a year when you sign up at butcherbox.com forward slash WP and use the code WP. Welcome to Western Contours Podcast, sharing experiences, providing insight, and looking for solutions to become better hunters. We talk gear, on and off season preparation, tips and tactics, conservation, and finding inspiration in the outdoors as sportsmen and women. Thank you for joining us as we share our love for all things Western hunting. Hey guys, thanks for joining Western Contours as we bring you Elk Hall and Academy's Feature Friday. This week, Michael talks about selecting out-of-state public land elk hunting areas. Enjoy the episode. Hello, everybody. My name is Michael Batiste, and this is Wapiti Wednesday Q&A. If this is your first time joining us tonight, welcome. We're glad you're here. The way Wapiti Wednesday Q&A normally works is I start with a topic, and tonight we're going to talk about selecting elk units. Um, now as we kind of discuss that it doesn't matter which platform you're joining us on whether you're on instagram or facebook or youtube feel free to put your comments into the chat section and i will gladly um you know try to answer those questions there is some information that i do hold back because we do have paid one-on-one private lessons and we also have the patreon page with uh where those members pay a monthly subscription so but for the most part i i will be able to answer more questions you know the questions except for some of that stuff also if this is your first time here or you're just enjoying the content we put out make sure that you like subscribe or follow and make sure that you turn on those notifications so that you're notified every time that we go live or upload a new video so okay uh first things first real quick over on the patreon page we are only four patrons away from drawing a name for um a dozen custom arrows from dca custom arrow works and the way that's going to work is the winner is going to contact dca and you guys are going to start working towards you know that custom arrow that is best for your setup so he's going to get your bow your draw your your poundage you know all that stuff and then he's basically going to go to his charts and find the shaft and then he's going to come to you with three options now you will have the ability to choose which of those options you want now if you choose the upper end 
I am going to cap at $250. If you choose an Aero custom setup that's above that $250, the winner will be responsible for what's above that, but I'm gonna pay up to that $250 mark. So like I said, only four more patrons, uh, maybe five more patrons before we draw that winner. So, okay, here we go. Uh, going up Friday, keeping activity in the area low for a few days. Nice. So, um, elk units, Eric Nelson. I pick my units <laughs> like I used to pick my women, women at random with little success and in the end, and I'm still skunked. So, uh, ghost buck coffee on Instagram. DCA does killer work. Yes, they do. Uh, and in fact, I had him do a, uh, just a budget build for me with 0.006 tolerance arrows and i'll tell you what those things i mean i'm grouping like this out at 50 60 yards with an 006 arrow so um amazing on those so okay so the reason i wanted to talk about this tonight was um you know since i since i was been down for a few days sitting on the couch and i'm not really one to sit on the couch i've spent a lot of time in forums and chat rooms and i typically don't spend a lot of time in those but I noticed a lot of people, and this is this is more, these are more of people that don't live out west, but this applies to a lot of people going out of state. And some of the things that I saw in the questions, it just really, I, I felt bad for the people. First off, it was, um, somebody went on there and they picked an area in Idaho and just said, Hey, I got this area. You know, I, I, I got this tag. Uh, we're going to be heading out at this time. You know, what do you guys, you know, recommend? And you could definitely tell then a lot of people were like, well, you know, why did you choose that area? Have you researched that area? And the person goes, uh, no, it just, I went to, um, fish and game and, and basically looked at the harvest statistics and that's all they went off they just they didn't do any other research past that point and I know the area that they got and in thankfully a couple of people were like well you, you probably should have done a little bit more research because there's a lot of private ground in that area it's a quite it's a larger area, elk numbers are kind of low, so the elk are scattered throughout that area. And unless you have access to private property or insider information on hidden pockets, you may go out there and not even see an elk for the whole entire time you're there. And you know, the person that got the tag came back and said, well, yeah, but what about this high success rate? And basically the people came back and said, well, that's because there's a bunch of locals that have access to the private property. So those success numbers are kind of skewed a little bit. You know, you might want to pick up the phone and talk to the fish and wildlife biologist in that area. So the individual did get on the phone and all of a sudden he came back and followed up and was like, man, you know, what do I do? This was not so you know, that just got me thinking that there's so many tools out there and there's so many options that, so to really choose a good elk hunting area, there's there's a lot of different things, you know, that go into it. 
Yes, the statistics from fish and game with the number of hunters and the success rate is just one piece of the pie. But you need to do so much more homework beyond that. You know, you really need to get to an on X or a base map and take a look at how much of that area is private versus, you know, public and what's the access like to that public. And then also, you know, pick up the phone and, and, and call those biologists. You know, wow, hey, I'm seeing the success rate is at this. Can you kind of tell me a little bit about the area or this or that? And, and they'll tell you, well, yeah, we have a lot of locals that live in this area that have access to private. And so, you know, 85% of the elk that are harvested in this area come off private ground. Okay, so I, I mean, I would think, especially if you're coming from all the way back east out to a western state to hunt, that would be really some vital information that you would want. So, um, so Andrew, outside of your comfort zone, do you look at success rate then scout it out? So, um, Sorry, guys. No, I, I, I dive a lot deeper. The success rate is just the first tip. Um, you know, that will, that will get me interested in area, but then I'm going to dive deeper into that area. I want to know more about that area. Um, it's, it's, like I said, access, private versus public. Um, terrain. I, I mean, I want to know a lot more about that. How many roads are in there? How many four-wheeler trails? Uh, you know, all that different stuff, because that's going to give me a good idea of what it's going to be like in that, in that area. So, I mean, if you only have one or two access points, you know, those one or two access points are going to be pretty dang, you know, busy. Um, you know, what other options do I have? Are there, are there alternate? I mean, what if I drive 75 miles out of my way to come in from a different direction? You know, just try to think outside the box. Once I've checked off all those things, you know, good success rate, um, got on the phone, found that there's good bull to cow ratio, um, you know, good amount of public land versus private land, good access. Once I've checked all those things off, then I'm going to go on to, you know, the e-scouting tools that I use. And then I'm going to really start dissecting that area. And then I'm going to basically break it down from that whole big zone into specific areas that interest me. Then once I have those specific areas, then it's time to go get boots on the ground and really scout it out and then hike through there and look for, you know, sign. Um, are animals present? What type of old rutting sign am I seeing? You know, and, and then basically really start dissecting it at that point. So, um, Nick, will all the snow in the mountains affect your unit selection? Colorado has a huge snowpack right now, and I'm not sure how that will affect the hunt. No, it doesn't, because the, the, the snowpack, if the elk have a place to go to where they can winter well, they're going to be fine they're going to go back up into those same rutting areas. Now, you know, a couple of years ago when we had, you know, Snowmageddon, 
it did affect the elk a little bit because when the cows started dropping calves, the rivers were so swollen that they couldn't get across the river. So they didn't get up to their normal areas that they normally are. The bulls still followed the snow line up, but what we noticed was there was a little bit of delay for the bulls to go down and round up the cows and then come back up into their re- up into their breeding area. They they made it back up in there. Um, I mean, heck, in fact, that was the first year that I had switched to a brand new area after all that happened, and. Um, Man, I, I I was amazed because brand new area and we ended up, I, I think that first year got into 26, 27 different bulls and that was a down year. So, um, so no, it, 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 the snowpack really doesn't affect my unit selection too much. I'm going to, one of the additional steps that I would add to that is with that unit selection, I would get on the phone to the fish and wildlife biologist and I would talk to them and ask them about calf mortality rate that's gonna be more on my mind than it is. So I, I wanna know how well the herd survived. So how well the calves survived the winter. So um, now obviously if I get a bad report, that might make me kinda second guess that unit. But honestly, I always have backup plans, so I may still go into that first unit selection, give it a little bit of time, and then make an adjustment to go to plan B, C, D, E, F, or G, or whatever. So, uh, to, 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 not really, they will move into that area by September. So, Nick Stevens, in my opinion, they may just cause the elks to stay lower for longer until the snow melts and they can comfortably move higher. Yeah, that's exactly what happens. Because you got to understand, as that snow melts off, then the spring grasses start growing. And it's those new grasses that are chock full of nutrients. That's why the elk will follow that snow line up. So, um, so yeah, I mean, they'll, they'll be back up into that area. Now, the one thing you might see is, like I said, if it was, if it was a high calf mortality rate, <clears throat> you might see a little dip in numbers for a little bit, but they do rebound fairly quickly. So speaking of maps, loved your tutorial on Caltapo, specifically the sun layer, absolutely brilliant. Bugle me this. Thank you. If you enjoyed that Cal Topo, make sure you go back in and watch the um, e-scouting tutorial that I uploaded uh, two weeks ago. And actually this Friday, the third video in the e-scouting tutorial goes live on the Patreon page. So, uh, LOL, that is my same incoming call I've got. So, um, okay. So I've noticed while doing research on Idaho fishing game, is it me or is it quite a bit of the south, southeastern part of the state, more private land versus public? It, it kind of varies from area to area. But yeah, you, you get over there in that that southeastern corner and, and yeah, you can get a lot more tracks of private, you know, surrounding some of that public. Um and, and in fact, that's one of the, that's, that's the area that I was talking about over on that side of the state that these guys grabbed a tag for. So, um, it, 
I, I don't know. It's just research. Now, now the other thing that kind of stemmed this is, and, and I'm going to talk about a specific zone here. So I have received messages from people and also seen several people post, and it always starts the same way. Holy cow, I was fortunate enough to get a sawtooth zone in Idaho. How incredible is this going to be? Okay, I hunted the sawtooth zone for years. And the one individual, one of the individuals, or actually a couple of the individuals that messaged me and told me that, I don't think they were quite expecting the response that I got or that I gave them because I was honest. So people seem to think that if it is a capped zone, that it is a trophy unit. The sawtooth zone can be far from the truth of being a trophy unit. The reason the sawtooth zone is capped is because the elk numbers are under objective. So they have to limit the number of tags and the number of elk harvested to try to bring that elk herd back up to objective numbers. It's not a quality tag. It's not a coveted tag. And, and in fact, bulls in that area, a really good bull in that zone is 265. 275 so it's not 360 inch monsters running around the only thing that the sawtooth zone has is because of the cap on the tags it has a reduced number of people hunting it so again doing a little bit of research to find out why a certain zone is capped a cap on a zone does not make it a quality trophy unit. If it was a quality trophy unit, it would be a draw. That is one thing that is important to understand. There is a difference between a capped unit and a draw unit. <clears throat> I know several people, non-residents that have got the sawtooth tag, came over here and spent 10 days or more and never even saw an elk. It is rugged, rough, tough country, but also too, there is that allure of hunting the Sawtooth Mountains. There is some wilderness areas in there that you can get, but also too, the ruggedness and the wilderness make it tough for predator control. So now you have an increase in predator in those areas. So. Again, this is one of those things that doing a little bit of research and understanding why a unit is capped can make the difference or mean the difference of you having a highly successful, enjoyable hunt and spending all that money and coming out and having just getting beat by the mountain day after day after day. So, um, okay, two, two, two. okay, you guys have pumped in a lot of things. So, uh, adaptations comes in with conditions. Uh, you were correct, but the southern regions are also managed for quality over quantity, less public access, but more quality hunts. So, 
Um, you know, there's also an allure of that southeastern part of the state because, you know, you can hunt elk in pines and aspens and junipers. And there's just there's such a unique, diverse landscape over in that part of the state. Um, I mean, I've looked at it a ton. Um, but it's one of those things where sometimes it's hard for me to drive four and a half, five hours to go elk hunt when I can drive an hour from my house and get into some real quality elk hunting. So, uh, delete second to last comment, bugle me this. So, uh, would you recommend getting a guide for a first time elk hunter or just doing a lot of research like you were talking about and just go for it? So Chris, that's, that's completely your call. And, and you can also do a combination of the two. And what I mean by that is, so like I said, there's a lot of good free tools out there at your disposal. Um, you know, fishing game with harvest statistics, um, you know, picking up the phone and talking to biologists. There's also Go Hunt, which Go Hunt has a ton of great information, um, you know, for areas. I know here in Idaho, we have the Idaho Hunt Planner, which the information you can get from that is tremendous. In fact, I still need to get that tutorial done on that. Um, you know, but then it depends, you, you, you know, do you want to do a backcountry type hunt or do you want to do a base camp truck style type hunt? It, it depends on what you want to do. And, and what I mean by you can do a combo of the two is you can do a lot of the research and, um, you can find areas away from roads to where you can go three, five, seven miles back in or whatever and and hunt and this is where you can do this combination because you can find a guide or outfitter that can do a drop camp which basically means they take you via horseback back into that area you found drop you and your gear off and then they come back to get you seven days or however many days apart so that is one way that especially for being a first-time elk hunter that you can enjoy the backcountry hunting because i'll Backcountry hunting for elk is phenomenal. I mean, it is raw. It is, I, I mean, just the emotions and the adrenaline and, and just everything that you experience on that backcountry hunt is incredible. But also realize, too, the amount of work to get back there to make that possible. And that's where the use of a guide to do a drop camp is a great resource that can help you get back farther. Because um, I'll tell you what, your, your first time coming out elk hunting, I can guarantee as soon as you get out here, you're going to realize that the mountains in the area that you're hunting are a lot more rugged than what you thought they were. And that's where using a guide for a drop camp, you're going to save a lot more of that energy. So, okay. Um, another tool to use is the National Forest Service travel map. Um, Onyx can lead you astray there because many roads and trails are only open part of the year. And, and, and that's kind of, Scott, one thing that we talked about a while ago with um, rugged maps. So because the thing with Onyx and base map and this and that, these companies are always updating their map. You know, they're always saying, hey, we have the most up to date map. Well, when they update their map, a lot of those Forest Service roads that are old roads that are decommissioned then get pulled off that updated map. 
But if you're using something like Rugged Maps that has all that historical information, you can find road systems that won't show up on Onyx or Basemap that are great tools for getting in and out of areas. And I mean, we, we use old roads a ton because you can move quickly and quietly on them and you'll be amazed at the number of elk that also, and, and not just elk, but animals, period, that also use those old road systems to travel around. So uh, really the key is, is not just one tool. You wanna have a set of different tools, rugged maps, Onyx, um, you know, CalTopo, um, there's also my favorite tool, which the Patreon members just found out about two weeks ago. Using a combination of all these tools, you can really find some great access points and abilities to move around within those areas that you're hunting. So, uh, North Idaho, have you ever hunted the panhandle? It's so thick, brushing steep. Cur curious if you've had any thoughts of this uh, type of terrain. I have not hunted all the way up into the panhandle, kind of the Elk City, um, Weipe, kind of that area is about as far north as, as, as I've hunted. Um, I do have some friends that do hunt up in the panhandle, panhandle up in the thick, and they're successful, you know, year after year. The, the thing about thick is the animals are going to form trails through there they are going to form routes to move around and that's where time in an area year after year is beneficial because uh, that's one of the th things about when we hunted the sawtooth zone uh, you know sawtooth zone is steep and thick brushy i mean there's a lot of buck brush um, but we learned the trails we learned those avenues that the elk were using to move around and then we use those same trails to our advantage as well so um bragging board finally someone explained it i don't hunt there because of low numbers yeah i mean i like i said i hunted sawtooth for years uh, when i first started hunting it in early to mid 90s it was a phenomenal unit i mean it was an incredible unit um you know we we packed back in seven miles we we had this great big long canyon all to ourselves and i mean we were re routinely into 320 330 all the way up to 350 360 class bulls and it was just incredible um and it just it changed the introduction of the wolves and and different things with that just really changed the landscape um also word got out and then it just became you know popular and overhunted. um it, it's still a place that it holds a special place in my heart i i mean there's just something about areas in the sawtooth that have a certain sight and smell to them um that's just incredible so you know one day if the numbers ever bounce back will i go back i mean we still found great success i mean we had hidden pockets that you know we knew about um but because it became so popular because people thought that because of this limited number of tags that it was a quality unit that it just became just such a nightmare to try to get tags for i mean when they when they flip the switch on tag sales and you know an area sells out in less than five minutes i mean it's just crazy so 
Uh, Matthew, I feel like I could spend days looking at info on the internet if the wife wouldn't kill me first. No, and, and you certainly can do that, Matthew. When you first really start doing it, there's so much information out there that you can kind of get overwhelmed. But, you know, after time, you kind of start learning a few good resources and it kind of starts winding and narrowing that down. So you're, you're searching and looking for info becomes more effective and more efficient. Um, but the other thing with that, too, is, you know, by you doing that research and you coming up with that info yourself, it's all on you whether that hunt was a great success or a great failure that's all on you but whether it's a success or a failure both of those are learning experiences and that's the key there that's what you need to take out of it is that those are learning experiences so uh scott hey boss good topic as i need to figure out where i'm going Andrew Crud got a plug in. So I started doing drop camps and it's been great. Nothing like getting back 10 to 12 miles and not killing myself to do it. Absolutely. And if you've never experienced riding horseback through the mountains back in to set up a spike camp, it is one of the coolest experiences that you will ever have. Um, I mean, just the the things that you see, and I, I mean, time spent on the back of a horse is is incredible. I have, I mean, I've been blessed to to do it a bunch, and have seen some incredible country throughout Oregon and Washington and Idaho and Montana and Colorado, and um, yeah, it, it, it's one thing that I, I really really recommend and the nice thing about the drop camp too is they bring you in drop you off and then they bring the stock back out so you can focus on your hunt you're not having to worry about taking and tending to stock every day so that is another another really nice thing about it so um Nacho, have you done a tutorial on how to use all the different tools, filters with Onyx? Nacho, yes, that is actually the video that's dropping Friday in the Patreon page. And it's it's what the video is, is I'm going to, the tool that I discussed and did the tutorial on two weeks ago, I'm gonna show you exactly how I take the information from that tool get it into my Onyx, so that way those areas I located with that tool are now in on X and then how I use the filters within on X to even kind of, uh, you know, dwindle that down a little bit more. So Jim Elk city counts. Good. Okay. Okay. Yeah. Elk city was, uh, was, uh, a, a, an interesting place to hunt up there. So this is my two cents. If you were a first time elk hunter and to include uh, new to the unit, plan on spending a couple of years of vacation time looking over the area yes that absolutely is so parasmataz good evening how you doing the one thing that i also hear from a lot of people is they will do the research they'll pick a unit and then they'll go in for that hunt and and maybe the maybe that hunt didn't turn out the way they were hoping or the way they planned and so they just give up on that area sometimes not that that's not really the case i mean yeah if you go in there and you're not seeing any sign of elk i mean just it's completely void of any elk then by all means go to a different area 
But if, if you're getting into sign, you know there are elk there, maybe you need to spend a little bit of time learning how to hunt that area. You know, how do, how do the thermals work in that area? You know, what are the wind currents? How do the elk move? You know, where are their feeding? Where are their bedding areas? Those are all things that take time to learn in an area. And not only that, but how to get into and out of a certain area the best way to where you're really controlling your thermals and it's not affecting the elk. And because these are all things that if you're in a brand new area, it takes time to learn those. It takes time to figure them out. In fact, you know, you guys heard me talk about last year when we ended up moving camp 25 miles and Eric, one of my hunting partners, came by yesterday and we sat down and, and, you know, started talking and we were talking about, you know, everything that we were seeing on this one face that we were hunting because we were getting into elk on this, on this face every day. And we were just kind of bouncing things back and forth. And, and I said, God, with everything I'm seeing in there, I said, that is just, it's a travel corridor. They're not staying there. And so we pulled up the map and said, okay, if this is their travel corridor, they're coming from point A, where are they going? And we, you know, we started looking at the map and, and, and you know, changing the pitch so we could get a 3D view and turning it. And then all of a sudden we happened to turn it just right. And here's this huge bench shelf about three quarters away up the mountain that we didn't know what was up there because we didn't have a ton of time when we moved camp to really hunt this area and as soon as we saw that we just looked at each other and got this smirk on our face and was like ding dong we know exactly where they're going so now we started dissecting that map okay if we're coming from this direction or that direction what's the best area to get in because these elk are moving through this corridor here getting up to here you know and yeah we could work them on this face in this corridor but if we don't get up to a certain point by a certain time the thermals are going to change and our day's ruined so you know do we kind of hang off onto the side until they get to a certain point and then roll in and so it was really really cool but that's one of those things that's that's taking time in a couple of years to learn that area, to really learn how to hunt it. And I can guarantee that if you use some of these tools, you will find areas, even if it's an area that you've hunted for a long time, you will find areas that all of a sudden will stand out and go, holy crap, I never knew that was there. I got to go check that out. So... Uh, Andrew, great point. So, Scott, need to do my research for a change instead of fumbling about as I've done in the past. Going to a unit with a few friends who are after deer hasn't worked out. At least hiking will be easier this year. Scott, you have absolutely been killing it with your weight loss. So, extremely proud of you, brother. So, uh, Danny, glad wolves not yet infested here in Idaho or in Utah. Um that you know of and they're coming they're coming everywhere so uh scott i'm sorry danny i hate to say that but it's just kind of the reality of what groups are are pushing for in a lot of areas so uh the national forest service travel map will also keep you legal if you're looking at using your atv trail to haul stuff in for a base camp etc with a quad 
So, um, yeah, absolutely. You have to do that. You're not only for the trails, but roads too, because there are some roads that are supposed to be closed during certain time of years. Um, but gates get opened. So, and just because a gate's open, you're not aware that that road's supposed to be closed. If you get caught on a closed road, you can't say, oh, well, the gate was open. They're, they're going to ask you, <clears throat> do you have the latest version of the travel map? So, uh, Lucas, good evening. Garrett, good evening. Sorry I'm late. Uh, Danny, one thing you can scout for, or the one thing you can scout for is the amount of people who show up to that area. I think you mean that you cannot scout for. Uh, yeah, you, you really don't know. Um, and that's where, that's where sometimes, uh, you know, when we do our night bugling, when we jump in a truck, we're also, you know, scouting also to see how many people are in the area. Where are they camped at? You know, making mental notes of those. Then you learn year after year of, you know, who, what, when, where, who's in what camp, how many people there are. And, and, and then you also, you know, like I, like I said, I've talked in the past that I'm not afraid to stop and talk to people um, because then you start to find these groups that are, you know, in that same area year after year in the same camp spot. Then you kind of figure out where they like to hunt. And by communicating then, you know, okay, hey, you guys keep your little pocket that you've, you know, hunted in for years we're going to hunt this pocket over here and it becomes that mutual respect where you honor each other's kind of buffer and area and and be respectful so uh chris finally made it uh garrett it took me three years to figure out a new unit and pattern and learn the elk still never killed a bull in that unit learned a lot since then but changed units again back to a unit i hunted 10 years ago back to my old stomping grounds now learning the new patterns and patterns that's the fun for me i love scouting and learning the scouting and learning part is is a lot of fun because it is that you know piece of the puzzle that you know it can be challenging it can be fun and and you know you've done all this research and then it you know becomes success and just that level of pride that you feel from you know doing all that um it's it's just absolutely incredible so bw headed west from kentucky this year love all the info on your channel bw thank you very much best of luck on your uh western adventure so 10 years and no tag uh in kentucky yet keep after it so um kentucky actually Kentucky's a state that I say the next world record is going to come out of. So just because of how Kentucky is uh, with the feed, the predator, uh, the winters, I mean, it just it's a great recipe for, you know, the minerals in the soils. It's a great recipe for good, good, healthy herds. And so. So that's that's what I'm waging my money on. The next world record is going to come out of Kentucky. Garrett, night bugles is the best scouting. Very productive in my unit. Oh, absolutely. Night, scoot, night bugling is a vital, vital piece uh, to our hunt. In fact, that's what Eric and I were doing also is, is when we were looking at the map was looking at other potential camp areas. Um you know, utilizing some of 
what's there and what's accessible. So Mountain Hunter Box, I was thinking maybe PA for world record. God, yeah. You know, Pennsylvania might be another one. Um, yeah, I'll agree with you on that. So Pennsylvania or Kentucky. Um, be interesting to see. So, all right. Uh, Keaton, that's if you tell the truth. Small pockets of elk where we hunt. Nope, haven't seen. Yeah, and Keaton, there there is that fine mix. Yes, I have done that before too you can get a gauge when you're talking you know to people um but yeah there are a lot of times where we'll be like no we haven't seen an elk we haven't heard a bugle or you know any of that it's just kind of a feeling you get uh when you're when you're talking to people but if you are hunting that same area year after year and you you see those same people you kind of start to develop that relationship with to where then you start kind of you know opening up and sharing that information a little, a little bit lots of elk and elk hunters or low elk numbers and low elk hunter numbers so um i mean ultimately you, you want to i mean ultimately it would be great if you could find an area that has high elk numbers but low hunter numbers. But unfortunately, with the popularity of elk hunting growing, the number of hunters is is increasing. So really for me, it's it's more so of good elk numbers and a good bull to cow ratio. Then I'm going to start looking for areas to where I can get away from people. So there are always ways that you can get away from people if you just think outside of the box you know sometimes it could be a motorcycle trail having a motorcycle and hunt up motorcycle trails we've hunted off motorcycle trails for years because it eliminates a lot of people so the people that are going in on foot aren't going to go as far as you the people on side by sides and quads can't go because it's a single track so you can actually get into some great great areas but then also too on those motorcycle trails is um have used mountain bikes on motorcycle trails so uh nick is there a particular terrain feature that you look for that isn't obvious my biggest thing is benches um if if i can find benches you know three quarters away up the mountain especially on a northeastern facing slope to me that is gold uh, especially, you know, with on those within those benches, if you have springs and seeps and marshy areas, I mean, those those are obvious areas that I look for. So, um, yeah, if, if I if, if I find benches with kind of in those criteria, oh yeah, I'm definitely going to hike in and check those areas. Uh, Danny, did you see Stephen Smith's post where he almost cut off his arm? Yes, I did see that. I haven't had a chance to uh, talk to Stephen yet because I know that uh, um, just happened today. So, um, you know, very unfortunate. Don't know the extent of everything. Uh, they got everything sewed back together, but don't know... 
Don't know long-term effects. We'll have to wait and see on that. So, uh, Garrett, I am feeling Idaho and me shooting new world record this year. Garrett, I like it. I like it. Positivity, you know, positive thoughts, and, and I wish you the best of luck with that. So, uh, with all the rain this year in Arizona, it should be a great year for big bulls. Mike, actually not just in Arizona. Um, uh I've actually been getting reports from some people that have been out and they're seeing bachelor groups that are already branched out to the sixth point already. Um, so really, really, really good growth year so far all over the board. So uh, Paul, loose, leaps, loose lips sink ships. <laughs> Correction, Paul, loose social media lips sink ships. Yes. Um, and, and, and when I... You know, Paul, when I'm saying that I'll share some information with them, um, you're very, very rarely going to get true numbers for me of what we're seeing out there, especially if if I know you, if you're a good friend, yeah, you'll you'll get good information because I know that you respect my spot just the way that I respect your spot. Um, but if it's if it's not, no, it's 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 always downplayed. So, um, <laughs> all right, guys, we are about ten minutes out. So, last round for questions. Um, <laughs> lie online. You know what? If it's online, it has to be true because it's online. So, um, <laughs> you guys are awesome. So, yeah, that, that's another reason why I don't jump into. It, it, forums or chats and that's why i'm not telling people to go into forums and chats and ask for information because the information that you do obtain from forums and chat rooms the percentage of truthfulness within a lot of those responses um really wouldn't rely too heavily on a lot of those so that's that's where phone calls to fish and wildlife biologists and fish and game agencies is a lot more beneficial so um okay so upcoming i'm going to try to get up this weekend and film some videos i i don't know if i'm going to be able to i'm still kind of on kind of restrictions until about the fifth or on um but i am going to try to do that and then here in two weeks june 8th uh we have that elk day at alpine archery and fly in la grande oregon so if you're in eastern oregon oregon or not too far from la grande make sure you get over there i'm doing a seminar at noon uh, I think right behind me, Wayne Carlton's doing a seminar, uh, but they have seminars all throughout the day. Uh, they have vendor booths, and at the end of the day, they have a wild game tasting event. So there's a chef that's going to be preparing a lot of different wild games. So it's going to be uh, going to be a lot of fun. We did just add another seminar to the schedule Friday, August 9th, uh, Western Idaho. It will be at Archery Central in Caldwell, Idaho. Uh, we'll start at 6 or 6.30. Uh, that one there, it is $20 at the door. Um, but definitely come join us over there. Just kind of a last-minute tune-up for the season and just have a little bit of fun. So, uh, Garrett, with all the water, do you fo focus more on bedding areas? So, okay, 
So here's the thing to understand with, you know, a heavy water year versus a low water year. The thing that you're going to find is when you have a high water year like we're having, you know, this year, what that does is that puts a lot of feed out on the mountain, which means the feed is just dispersed. When you have feed dispersed like that, the elk are going to disperse. They're going to branch out a little bit more. So, um, you know, instead of maybe going into a canyon where feed is concentrated because it was a low moisture year where you have five or six bulls with their, their cows, their harems in there, now because there's more feed, they can kind of spread out a little bit more. Um, so, you know, you may have to cover a little bit more ground going from group to group to group. Um, but my focus still stays the same. I mean, I'm still looking for bedding areas. I'm still looking for feeding areas. It's a little tougher to find feeding areas or concentrated, dedicated feeding areas, because the thing that you'll find with the feeding areas is when that food is dispersed out, they may not go to the exact same feeding area each night. They'll kind of, you know, wander a little bit more. And what they'll do is they'll graze a little bit in one area. Then the next night they may, they'll, they'll be in the same general vicinity, but they might be, uh, you know, three, four, 500 yards away from where they were, you know, the night before. Um, so that is one thing to keep in mind when you have a high moisture year that there is a lot more feed out there. So on, on drier years, it's a little easier to find those nightly dedicated feed areas because that food is, is, is concentrated. So, uh, Tony, ever have any confrontations with guides? Our scouting last year led us to several empty tree stands and trail cams left by local guides. No, I, I haven't. Um, and in fact, that area in the sawtooth that I used to pack in for several years, there was a guide, um, there was an outfitter in there and actually I basically um, got to know them pretty well, got to know the outfitters and the guides and, and really built a good friendship with them. And um, so no, I've been pretty fortunate that haven't had the, uh, the confrontation. So Victor, I'll be there. Good. Looking forward to it. Scott, I'd like to taste some wild game. I'm kind of interested to see what they're going to have, Scott. Um, I don't know. It'll be interesting to see. So I know there's a lot going on that weekend because I think the the show at the uh, Idaho Center is also that same weekend. But um, you could always go to that show at the Idaho Center on Friday and then you could drive the two and a half hours over to LeGrand for that day. So uh, Kay Grant, does more moisture mean more wallows as well? Certainly can uh, because some of those areas that may dry up as the summer goes along that may not be a, uh, a, a wallow. Yeah, in, in heavier moisture years, absolutely, you could certainly find um, more wallows than what you normally do. So, uh, Joshua, sorry I missed most of the show, but love watching, glad I caught the end. Joshua, hey, welcome, glad to have you, bud. So, uh, Just Sampson, do you night bugle? Yes, I do. Night bugling is a tool that we use um, all throughout the year, um, and it's a tool that we rely heavily on. So, and most of the times when we're out night bugling, especially with the group that I hunt with, that is when a majority of the slapstick shenanigans take place. 
And a lot of those times that I'm really glad that uh, the camera a lot of times stays <laughs> in camp on some of those night bugling adventures. So, but maybe we will have to uh, throw it in to, to get some of those uh, documented. So Northeast benches, is that because they bet on Northeast benches? You like those? Well, yeah, <laughs> K. Grant, hold my beer and watch this. That line may have been said a time or two. So um, <laughs> it's just all about having fun. So um, in fact, last, last year, uh, we were heading to a night bugling spot and two calves actually just jumped out of the trees right into the road in front of us. And we stopped and we had the windows down and one of the guys just popped the reed in his mouth and just kind of started, you know, doing some pleading cow calls. And both those calves turned and just started walking right for the truck. And they were like, hey, get out, drop the tailgate, see if you can get him in the tailgate. Hey, easy way to get him back to camp. And so, yeah, the, the shenanigans that then proceeded to go on with that were uh, quite entertaining. So, uh, but yeah, Danny, the, the Northeast benches so can be really, really good bedding areas because the, the thing with those benches a lot of times is depending on the size of the bench, you can get some really, really inconsistent winds in them and the winds really swirl. And so they just feel safe in those areas, you know, for some reason. Plus, the thing that I found is a lot of times on those benches is you end up finding marshy areas that are wet with really good grass but also places and they get in and you know wallow and roll around in the mud to cool off um it just yeah i've just had had great success but it depends where those benches are on the mountain if those benches are down low not so much but if they're about three quarters of the way up on the mountain that's just from past experiences, those those have been kind of a, a golden zone to where I've always found a good majority of elk in a lot of places that I've hunted in, you know, different states. So, Andy, good night. Thanks for uh, jumping in. So, uh, Scott, it's hot in September and elk are wearing a fur coat. Northeast is the coolest bedding area uh, in the hottest part of the day. So, yeah, but Scott, I think Danny was asking more about the bench aspect of it, not just the northeastern, but a northeast facing, you know, bench. So because they can actually get into places on that bench to where they can get a consistent wind coming behind them, but then out in front, they kind of get this swirling effect so they can actually cover a lot of ground with their noses. So uh 34 speaking of nighttime what's your opinion of a campfire when back at camp we'll have them um you know the smell of campfire it it, it doesn't affect i mean they're used to they're used to smelling campfires with people camping during the summer you know forest fires and all that um but honestly i you know, and I've said this time and time again, you're never going to be 100% scent free. So the more important thing is to play that wind and keep that wind in your favor. And if you're always keeping that wind in the favor, it doesn't matter if you've had a campfire every single night or if you haven't showered in 21 days, it's, you're going to be okay. So uh, if they're close enough to smell the smoke, you're not playing the wind right. Bingo. So uh jeffrey duncan good evening i bet wild game would be delicious scott stop so you have elk 
and bear and antelope and you've got all kinds of wild game in your freezer so the thing i'm interested in over there is the exotic what outside of what we normally get to have here is what i'm interested in trying that's the wild game i'm talking about sarcastic little sucker all right so um but yeah so so the videos that i plan on on doing is um you know for the patreon members i'm going to set up the camera and i'm going to actually basically reenact a whole breeding sequence and i'm going to have either eric or bryce out in the trees that are going to be acting like a bull and i'm going to be interacting with them so that you guys on the patreon page can see exactly how i do that breeding sequence and how i adjust my breeding sequence based on the responses that i'm getting back from that bull you know kind of how i'm reading him what he's given me and how i'm going to adjust to respond to him but also too i'm going to film that video on the peepless that I've been playing with. I know a lot of you guys are interested in this peepless method, but I want to really break it down and show you exactly how I'm doing this. Um, I'll tell you this though, it's absolutely incredible. It is just liberating and eliminate so much target panic. So, uh, Kay Grant, I think the whole country would smell you if you haven't had a shower in 21 days. But you know what, if you're playing the wind, not a problem. So, all right, guys, countdown has begun. Uh, one more quick question. What are you doing this time of year in prep for season? Jesse, right now I am recovering from the surgery that I had last week. So right now I'm not doing much of anything. Uh, but when I get back into it, it's a lot of hit training, um, you know, high intensity interval training and also, you know, hikes out in the mountains, setting trail cameras, scouting new areas, uh, you know, putting a pack on. I'll also put, you know, pack on with some weight and just walk around the neighborhood uh, during the week. So a few different things. So, all right, guys, we got 30 seconds left. So thank you to each and every one of you for tuning in tonight. Hopefully you enjoyed tonight's show. As always, keep calling, keep practicing. Most importantly, though, have fun. And we will see you guys next week on the next episode of Wapiti Wednesday Q&A brought to you by Elk Calling Academy. Have a great night, everybody. Follow and subscribe to Elk Calling Academy on Instagram, Facebook, YouTube, and Patreon for tips, tactics, gear reviews, and live Q&A, helping you to success faster. Thank you for listening. Follow and tag us on Instagram at Western Contours. Jump on iTunes, Google Play, and Podbean. Subscribe, leave us a comment, and don't forget to hit that five-star rating. We appreciate the support, and until next time, lay them down.